Welcome to Risk Roundup. The ongoing digital technology transformation revolution in man-made cyberspace will offer each nation as many opportunities as it does challenges. The computer code, connected computers, information, communication and digitization technology and capabilities that is revolutionizing every aspect of human ecosystem across nations, its government, industries, organizations and academia has leveled the playing field and brought each nation an unprecedented possibility of progress. What needs to be seen is whether in the level playing field, how will each individual nation be able to compete and lay a new foundation for lasting prosperity or decline? In cyberspace, what is common to everyone, that is individuals as well as entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations and academia, is access to technology, data and information. But what is not common is how one uses the data and information and for what purpose and goals. While cyberspace has given nations the same starting point in access to technology and information, there are many other variables in cyberspace, geospace and space that will determine whether a nation will be able to use the data and information from cyberspace to develop, progress, succeed, and have a promising digital future. To discuss the digital future and challenges of change further, I am delighted to welcome Dr. A.J. Minai from Malaysia to Risk Roundup. Dr. Minai is the Chief Storytelling Officer and Chief Motivational Officer at the Tomorrow Academy. Welcome, Dr. Minai. We are honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you very much, Dr. Jayashree. It's an honor to be here. Wonderful, Dr. Minai. So, we see massive digital disruption is on its way. The forces of ongoing digital disruption due to advances in digital technologies, computer code, connected computers and internet are at a scale and pace no nation or any of its component that is government industries, organizations and academia are simply prepared for. As each nation individually and collectively try to respond to an increasingly digital CGS ecosystem, that means cyberspace, geospace, and space, they are realizing that digital disruption is changing everything from how we connect to how we communicate, how we work, to how we bank, how we shop, to how we go to war, how we make friends, to how we socialize, and even how we change to adapt to change. So what is changing today and what else needs to change uh, from your assessment? That's a, that's a very, very interesting question, Dr. Jitri. Thank you. Um, I, think, I think there are basically three core areas in which things are changing. And I think I, I would like to probably highlight and overview all three of them in a sequence that would be easier for our audience to understand uh, whether or not they are very digital-minded or not. So the first is the humanization of brands. What's happening is brands in general, or for example, let's just take one sector of industry, the corporates. Let's not talk about startups because I think startups are creating their own, their own economies now in the world. But let's talk about the corporates. We're talking about the usual suspects, the what we call the big boys, the people we see on the Fortune 500. And what's happening is a digital transformation or digital disruption is something that's affecting them. Interestingly, more than even the startups and the younger companies. Why? Because the entire market is working towards traditional business models being completely disrupted. Now, a great example that everyone uses, and I don't like to use it too much because just about everybody uses it, is what we call the Uber effect. Uh, the largest, the largest taxi company in the world that effectively doesn't have any cabs or taxis. For that, for that reason, Uber isn't actually a taxi company at all. It uses everyday people who have their own private vehicles, their own cars, and turns them into people who help you get from point A to point B. But my point here for the first first factor that I think plays into how, how the world can actually accept and embrace this digital disruption in terms of our environment in business and in life, the way we live, is the humanization of brands. 
And by that, I mean that companies today are no longer looking at focusing on features in terms of their products and their services. What they're looking at is focusing on emotions. And that's very interesting because what's happened is 10 years ago, and this is an example that would would probably highlight what I mean by the humanization. 10 years ago, um, a shaving a shaving foam company or a shaver company like Gillette, you must have heard of Gillette, right? Would have done, if you opened on the TV, and that's very interesting too, because 10 years ago, you'd switch on the TV to see advertisements. Today, we see our advertisements on YouTube most of the time. So that's that's another change. But coming back to Gillette, you have 10 years ago, you see an advertisement from Gillette. And what do you see? You typically see uh, an ad that is very, very short, uh, a very small ad for about one minute, two minutes in which they show the shaver and they show the shaver being used. They show a gentleman standing in front of the mirror shaving and the whole ad is focused entirely on just the product, just that shaver. But if you fast forward and come into 2000, as early as 2016 and 17, you could see a huge shift in the way Gillette positions their advertisements. Their, their advertisements are no longer advertisements. In fact, in their advertisements, they don't even show the shaver for more than five, six seconds. What do they do? They create a story in which there are characters. And in those characters, there is an application of their product. Somehow those characters are using that product or that service to create an impact in that video where it could just be as simple as a father and a son, a very, very, uh, a very, very intimate, loving relationship between a father and a son and how when the son is younger, the father took care of him. And as the son gets older, the father gets older as well. And with that, the father comes to a point where he may become to a point where he needs help. He becomes somewhat like a child as well by that time. And the son is helping him. And this is exactly what Gillette did. It created a five minute, five minutes now, much longer than the, than the, what we used to have on TV, almost three to four minutes of a video in which there's a story between the son and the father. And through that whole process, all their usual old lines, Gillette's tagline was the best a man can get. And that was what was said in that advertisement close to 10 years ago, it would be a tune, it would be a jingle and the people singing at the back. Can you imagine from a jingle, from traditional advertising, advertising has been disrupted into emotions now. People are creating advertisements because they want to be more human, not because they just want to force a product in front of your face. You see, it's no longer like that. So what is happening in the digital world, which brands need to recognize, and in case they haven't, and I'd like to share this with the audience, is that understand that the market today is not about eyeballs anymore. It's not about how much you can show your product to people. It is how much your product can move other people. How can it move people, not just logically, but emotionally? How can you show the impact of your products? And that's something really interesting because if you think about it, Dr. Jayshree, the very nature of digital is very interesting. We live in a very, we live in very interesting times. And I say this because I'm coming to my second point, my second factor now, is that the technology around us, whether it's a website or a mobile app or it's social media, all the technology around us, even with AI now, with artificial intelligence around us, have you noticed that technology is trying to become more human. It's trying to become more human, which is why you see big companies, big, big companies, usual suspects. And I'm not going to take any names because I'd like to keep this more generic, but big companies you find on the fortune 500, 10 years ago, they had a website full of text, tons of text and, you know, shareholder information and all that stuff. And today, when you go to their websites, what do you see? You see uh, a millennial website, you see less text, more visuals, more, more, more storytelling, more conversation. Even the nature of the language has changed. The nature from being very formal and corporate has now turned into very conversational, very, hi, how can I help you? Instead of, please, please email this person for this inquiry. You notice what I mean, Dr. Jayshree? Everything has changed in the digital world. And 
technology is trying to be more human. Now, here's the second point that's a bit of a concern for me and that I'd like to share with the audience. While digital is trying to become more human, human beings or us as a species are failing to see that we should continue to innovate as human beings. Digital disruption is not a disruption solely because of technology. It isn't disrupting things purely because of the mobile app that was released or because of a technology that was released or because of a new way of doing things. That's not it. The biggest innovation in the digital world is within ourselves, human innovation. Now, by that, I mean, yes, machines and robots will do more of our work. In the future, they will do more and more of our work. But that means that human beings shouldn't stop innovating within themselves. It's not an excuse to become lazy and complacent. It's an opportunity to become more strategic, to become less tactical. What machines can do for you now, 10 years ago, couldn't have been done. So the people would have to do it. But now those machines can do it. So what does that mean? Does that mean you sit back and relax and just go, well, <clears throat> I live in a time where everything's done for me. I press a button and it happens. Yeah, well, how are you going to innovate? How are you going to be the, the leaders of tomorrow? So digital has a, the digital future is really bright. I, I, have such, I have such optimism for the future in the world of digital, but I also am concerned. And that is why in my own capacity as adjunct lecturer, life skills coach, trainer, chief motivational officer at Tomorrow Academy, I keep on highlighting that while everything has a brilliant side to it, a good side to it, there are things in it that you must learn to manage that can become negative in time. And therefore, the second factor I want to talk about is human beings becoming too digital in a digital world. You know, and, and the audience needs to, needs to understand this because a lot of the biggest mistakes that I see a lot of, sadly, a lot of the big companies, a lot of the usual suspects you'd imagine that would understand this concept, I sadly see this mistake being made. There's too much focus on the, <clears throat> excuse me, on the technology. <clears throat> Sorry about that. On the technology side of things. Um, and so much so that the human side sometimes, the human aspect of digital innovation, the, the ideation, the continuous gaining of new ideas yes. and trying and experimenting those ideas in a digital world you have all these new tools coming out for AI, for big data, for Bitcoin, for blockchain, you, you name it, there's a new tool for it. But I think humanity needs to understand that there are tools, yes, only yes. tools. Absolutely, absolutely. And that it's an excellent summarization of uh, your viewpoint and the challenges that you see. And I agree with you that we do need to have a strategic thinking. We do need to focus on the storytelling, like you just you know mentioned about that, uh, how the advertisements are changing. And we do need to humanize because uh, if we look at, uh, like you said, you know, because of the advances in technology, there's so much focus on the tools and technology, but not much focus on ideas and imagination and uh, innovation and creativity and all that we do need to uh, evaluate how all these tools and technology are going to impact humans and we do need to focus on the in imagination because that is what will give you new ideas and that will give you the, the foundation to uh, innovate and create new things and new technology new tools and technology and products and services so for any entity across nations its government industries organizations and academia Today, everything and everyone can be characterized as disruptive. And if they are not disruptive yet, it's only a matter of time because before it becomes so. So this disruption concern as to who will disrupt and who will be disrupted, where would be the disruption coming from and when and what would this disruption change? And when is today's uh, very serious dilemma for each decision maker, irrespective of nation? So as digital disruption brings down established governance, business models, like you just talked about the Uber, business model, management models, and technology models, do you see this wave of ongoing digital disruption challenging each nation to change for its very survival and sustainability? Without a doubt. Absolutely. I mean, I don't mean to be dramatic, but I truly believe that digital disruption 
is not so much, and this is of course driving home my previous point, is not so much just about the technology or just about the digital. It's, it's also about how we engage with it, how human beings engage with it. And I always say that, you know, if you're talking about Airbnb, Airbnb, Facebook, Uber, all these household names that have become startup, startup legends, if you say so, you know, they've become success stories now. They are, they are such, they are such part of our lives now. There's so many people I know who live their entire lives using Ubers. I know people who have stopped living in hotels and going just using Airbnb, you see? So there are people who have just completely shifted. And this is an example of how people have changed the way they live in this world. And therefore, sooner or later, as every industry starts to disrupt, like examples of Airbnb, Uber, you've got FinTech now, you've got you know, smaller startups coming up that are disrupting banking and the financial services. The way we used to look at a bank has changed in this time for two reasons. One is FinTech and the other is blockchain. You know, there's so much of blockchain going on that there's so many different transactions that are happening that the governments of countries are finally now commenting on blockchain. And you open up, you whether it's the New York Times or, you know, Guardian or whichever paper you go, you know, you open up. Sooner or later, you're going to bump into an article about blockchain and Bitcoin, you know, something along those lines. And the government's commenting on how currency and how we look at cryptocurrency and digital currency is also shifting and how so many forget about just organizations, but now governments. And recently you heard about the Venezuelan government looking at cryptocurrency as well now. So yes, to answer your question, without a doubt, you know, if, if countries at a leadership level, and again, not to be dramatic, but I really mean the leadership level. I mean, the, the prime ministers and the presidents and the, you know, so on and so forth, important people in that nation that are part of the nation building process if they don't take into account how digital disruption will actually fit into their society and how are they making spaces, the right places, the right platforms to let their people experience this in a manner that is productive and not just in a manner that's haphazard, that's just happening, They're just existing with all these new, new things coming their way, but no one is educating them on how they can also be part of that change. So a lot of people... A lot of people end up being followers in this, in this journey, unfortunately. My vision is everybody becomes an entrepreneur. And that's why we started the Tomorrow Academy, you know, my own, one of my own startups, which is with my partner, Dan. And we're extremely passionate about transforming everyday people into extraordinary entrepreneurs. And we've come up with an entire, I'd like to say a lack of better words, an entire lifestyle. We actually orchestrate a set, not just from a training and coaching point of view, but we orchestrate everything for them to understand what it truly means to be an entrepreneur in the digital world. Yes, that is so very essential because today, no matter where we look from and where we look at, digital disruption seems inevitable. Uh, but if you think about it, there will be different forces within and across nations' uh, boundaries and uh, like nations, government industries, organizations, and academia means that the pace of change is going to vary by nation, its industries and sectors. So even though the uh, playing field is leveled, we will not see the same pace of change across each and every nation in the similar manner at the same you know, level or its industries. And the world is expected to face extraordinary challenges of change. In the coming years, because with the growth as the only constant in those changes in the digital world, growth means more digitization of individuals and entities across NGIA. Today, it's not just the individuals that have their identity on Internet. Even entities have their identity on Internet. And more digitization of devices, processes, product, products systems, data, and its opportunities and risk, all of that is being digitized. So the emerging trends in the cyberspace reflect significant, sorry, significant shifts of innovators and innovations in the digital ecosystem that reveal the reconfigurations of inner drive, innovations, interest, influence, and investment. So when we visualize digital future, 
what shifts do you see happening due to these reconfigurations of inner drive, innovations, interest, influence, and investments, if any? Because across nations, when you look at this level playing field, all these different uh, variables are going to come into play, and that's going to bring fundamental shifts. Yes, absolutely. So I think, Dr. Jayshree, let's let's talk a little bit about let's go a little bit deeper. Because I've spent several years now, uh, almost the last half a decade, researching the effects on the younger generations in our in our in in the market today. Uh, because I believe the future is very much so in their hands. It, it it is a future, and it is a market today that is almost at forty to fifty percent millennials. Millennials meaning Gen Y. And we need to accept that because sooner or later, the previous generation, the Gen X, is going to start dwindling because that's the very nature of our lives. You know, people live and they, people die. And then the, ne the next generation takes over. But what's really interesting is, is that the digital world and this digital disruption has not just affected our lives in terms of, you know, the mobiles and everything else that we're doing, but also it's affected our minds. And this is very interesting. Um, a very easy example for you to understand, for, for us to answer this, this particular question about how people have to embrace the shifts in mindset is if you talk about university students today, and I find this very fascinating because I spent a lot of my time researching and observing people. And I find this fascinating that when you go to a university, which, I, which I've been honored and humbled to be invited to many a times to speak, I noticed that when lecturers or when professors today give their students a task or a project to work on, typically a documented task, maybe a, a research paper, what happens is, is students today would typically rely on what we call instant gratification. Because what they do is, is they understand that universities often have plagiarism checks. So what do a lot of them do? And this is where it becomes very dangerous. This is where this is an example of danger in a digital world. They have Google. And with Google, they type in, they, 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 they copy the, the title of the paper given to them. And they put that into Google. And they come up with, you know, the, the hits, the, all the different hits and search engines. And they start researching. They start coming up with their, but here's the thing. The, the, the thought process is not, a mindset of creating in that situation. It's a mindset of just knowing because what you're doing is you don't know about a subject, you Google it and you just come up with all this information. And what do students do then? Invariably, I don't mean to generalize, I'm sure you know to my fellow students out there who actually sit down and really grind to come up with original thought, I mean, no offense, but the vast majority, the vast majority, and we know this, the vast majority would spend a lot of time just finding different, different research papers that have similar content, cut pasting those paragraphs, rewording those paragraphs, putting it together, and then passing it up to a professor. Now, here's what's interesting, Dr. Jayshree. If you go back to my father's time, and my dad is almost 70 now, but if you go back to him being a boy in his time in university, let's play the same scenario. The professor gives him a research paper to do. They don't have Google. They don't have keyword search. They don't have any of that. Yes, they lived in an inefficient time because they had to spend so much of time doing what? Going to the library. They had to go to the library and sit there for days trying to find information about what they want to research and put there. But the beauty is, is that when they were going through that research in the library, they didn't have a keyword that would zoom into the particular page and that particular paragraph. So what did they have to do? They had to study and skim all of it. Yes. And that's where, that's where the difference is. That's why you have today Gen X CEOs and baby boomer CEOs who are at the top of the organization sharing their views of concern that the younger generation doesn't understand how to critically think through something or take that, that step of leadership or that initiative. It's not that they don't. They're fully capable. I have full faith in the millennials. Millennials are amazing people, you know? And I'm not somebody who likes to look at the problems. I look at the solutions always. But it is undeniable 
that they have grown up in two different worlds. That this this the CEO, the baby boomer, who are sitting on top of these Fortune, a lot of them are still in their fifties and sixties and seventies today. They're sitting there and controlling it, and they're looking at all this group of these young people, and these young people are growing. They're growing. They're growing. They're growing, and soon they'll take the whole world, and people are concerned about that because they don't see that same that same drive that you know these guys have. But I'm just giving you just one example, just from a university experience. Just imagine, just one. This is one of many examples of how the world has changed. A yes. professor giving a research paper to a student today versus a professor giving a research paper to my father when he was young, maybe close to 40, 50 years ago. Imagine when he's 20 years old and he's doing this, he has to read all these books. And what happens? He develops not just surface knowledge, but depth. Deep knowledge. Deep knowledge. You see. That's very true. Very, very true. Now, you gave an excellent example. And uh, like you said, that the, there is a growing concern about the lack or diminishing imagination. And a lot of decision makers are very concerned and becoming vocal about this, that we need to create an environment in which the ideas and, and imagination you know, flourishes so that we can have a really good innovation. I, I had a recent uh, risk-rounded discussion with a general from Israel, and he was also, you know, telling me something similar, that we should not focus on too much of sending uh, our kids to get a degree in cybersecurity and all that. We should focus on teaching them fundamental science and mathematics because they need to have that fundamental, you know, in-depth understanding of all these, you know, STEM, uh, and uh, un unless they have that, getting a degree in cybersecurity and all that uh, is not very fruitful. So I hear your point on that, that we do need to have a focus where our children and our coming tomorrow, our young generation that is going to become our coming tomorrow, that they get that in-depth expertise because uh, nations are beginning to understand that the implications of the evolving digital ecosystem goes far beyond digital user counts or using mobile phones, you know, and while this relationship between the national policy and digital future is very complex, the force and pain of the ongoing digital disruption will present each nation challenges of change for all its individuals as well as entities across, you know, its governments, its industries, its organizations and academia. So uh, like you said before that, you know, this need, this acknowledgement and this need for change and the understanding of disruption and all that needs to come from the very top. So how do you see the current and emerging technological change challenging the, and changing the very power dynamics within your nation, Malaysia. I think Malaysia is very much so, to a certain extent, an example for other developing nations. And I, I, I don't say this. I don't say this in a um, in an overly nationalistic perspective. I say this in a very practical and from a from a more from a more pragmatic viewpoint because. Having having traveled uh, quite a bit and understanding that a lot of the a lot of the digital specifically about a digital context, right, Doctor Deshri? We're talking about a digital context. So I feel that Malaysia has definitely taken steps towards embracing that change. Now, of course, no process is perfect, and it will never be perfect. And every country has its own challenges. And I think there is a there is a fine balance, and that balance that I talked about earlier about digital disruption, just being focused just on tech, but then the human capital development not being developed in tandem, in balance, that can be at times also having an ill effect on the overall economy of a country. And developing human capital is very important, which is why I'm, ha which is why I'm saying that Malaysia is taking those steps, because I see more and more initiatives here in Malaysia where people are trying to upskill not just their technology and you know to upgrade their technology and to refresh their apps and to step into social media and you know bitcoin and fintech you know the usual things that are happening around us so much of things every day it's something new that's happening but they're also taking a certain amount of drive and initiative in upskilling people 
you know, there, and I can't, I, I think I agree with this gentleman that you mentioned previously about the fundamentals, but I would go one step further. And I think you saw this on my TED talk, you know, where I, sp I spoke about, I spoke about how education has to now take into account entrepreneurship, has to take into account emotional intelligence. And I, I think there were two more things that I mentioned, but these two things are the most, in my opinion, the first two that are most important are these two, EQ and entrepreneurship. And I don't mean entrepreneurship from an academic perspective. Forgive me, but entrepreneurship cannot be an academic subject. It cannot be. The very nature of entrepreneurship is doing, is experiencing, is driving things, is actual action, massive action. It can never be taught to you through a textbook. It's just like somebody were to imagine, you know, Dr. Jayshree, if you were to say, AJ, I'd like to know how to drive. And I give you a book in which everything about driving from A to Z. And I say, read this book and you'll know how to drive. And then after a while, when I come back to you and I say, all right, you're ready to drive. And you're like, um, no, you know, why, why, why can't you do it? You know, everything about driving, you know, the traffic, you know, the rules, you know, the, because you didn't do it. You didn't do it. And that's why I tell people sometimes pursuing a degree, and I agree with this, this gentleman, pursuing a degree, being obsessed with very reputable institutions for the sake of going to them because you feel that it will, it will be you, it will become you. I think the time of, in a digital world in Malaysia, what I really appreciate is the fact that people have started to understand that they don't need big, big fancy names to become a brand. They understand that humanization means they themselves are a brand. AJ is a brand. Jayshree is a brand. You don't need to have, you know, all these big, big names to become that brand. Sure, the big institutions don't make you. You make yourself. You make and that, the, our young people are beginning to understand. And I, I hear you on that and I acknowledge that because I, I, when I get emails from a lot of young students, from all across nations, they ask me questions like what we should do, you know, what kind of what we should do that can be as inspiring as what you are doing. And I tell them that just find one problem that your nation is facing and try to solve that problem. Absolutely. Out how to, you know, make that better for your country. And you don't need to go to big institutions for that. You can do that wherever you are. You can bring that very change that your country needs. And this growth in cyberspace, the digital growth is driven and shaped by a number of variables and external factors, many of which can be amplified or influenced by the decisions that our government or public policy choices make at all levels, not just at our local levels, but national levels and global levels. So as artificial intelligence and robotics and cloud computing and Internet of Things and big data and uh, challenges about cybersecurity, they loom large on most nations. Right now, if you see each and every country is concerned about cyber hacks, you know, cyber breaches that they face each and every, even the industries. So is your nation evaluating these transformative elements that will define the future terrain of its uh, digital world and the very digital future. Are they asking questions like that? What kind of policies we should have that will uh, impact the potential cyber growth or what are the uh, shifts, uh, trends happening in uh, cyberspace and cybersecurity in general that we need to be careful about? And what kind of policies we need to have that uh, will inspire our you know, children, our coming tomorrow, our students that will get inspired and the innovations that they come up with, that they, those innovations will actually uh, be, you know, succeed and can be commercialized. Are they? Are the decision makers asking this kind of question? Yes, I think to a great extent they are. Um, again, again, Jaytree, I wanna, I wanna highlight that no, no journey is ever going to be easy, and no process is ever perfect. Um, are there, are there aspects of? of how we are asking these questions that you refer to? Are there certain aspects that I think can be improved? Without a doubt, of course there are. But I think on the whole, you know, and being born in Malaysia and seeing Malaysia as a child growing up, you know, and of mixed parentage, you know, and, and, and seeing both the East and the Western mindset melding into Malaysia, Malaysia becoming a truly global country, and if, you, if you've happened to come to Kuala Lumpur, you'd know what I mean. 
I mean, you were to walk around here, you you feel it. You know, you see Asian faces, you see Caucasian faces, you see every you know everything, a diverse range of Oriental to Caucasian to the West to 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 you know South Asia, India, and, and Bangladesh and Pakistan. All those places, you have everybody here, and you know, to a certain extent, it's very much like Dubai. But I think Dubai has a slightly different, uh, certain you know, a slightly different thrust. It's driven on a certain slightly set, set of different principles in terms of how they want to build that economy and they want to build that infrastructure. Whereas I think Malaysia is very focused on maintaining a balance, and I like that. I like that very much about Malaysia because having traveled to a lot of these places, including Dubai, I you know I'm always impressed with other places and their their you know their drive for for becoming a better nation. But when I come back to Malaysia, I see a lot of positives. Sure, there are things that can be improved, but I see a lot of positives about how leaders of industry here are asking questions like, how can we become part of the policy-making process at a, not just at an at a industry level, but at a, at, a, at, a, at a nation level, which is very interesting because I think when captains of industry, you know, respectively large, like for example, you have people like Tansri Tony Fernandez of AirAsia, right? You have um, a lot of other people in, in this region, not just in Malaysia, who are of the same stature as him, who speak about, openly speak about social innovation. They speak about entrepreneurship. They speak about, you know, policymaking that embraces the digital future. And I think the more you have people like this coming up in industry, that's when governments startups, microeconomies, macroeconomies start to take note of all this and they go, okay, you know what? If if so and so is saying this and if so and so is building it and they've got such amazingly successful, you know, organizations, clearly we should open our our ears and listen to this person. And I think with all that, all the conferences and all the keynote presentations and a lot of the events that are happening, not just at a massive level. I mean sometimes action doesn't need to be huge glamorous action sometimes action can just be the small little things that you're doing every day right and if everyone does them they become together they become a massive change and i think i think that's what it is i can't agree with you more i loved what you said just now about the advice you gave to students dr jayshree it's fantastic you said find one problem and solve it i i completely agree with you you know i think it's amazing that a lot of people don't quite sometimes understand that it's very important to understand that that there's no use building a fintech or a bitcoin or a blockchain or an ai or a mobile all that stuff is great you you can build a startup around that but are you truly building it to solve a problem are you solving something because if you're just building it because everyone else is or you're just building it because you think there's lots of money in it Yes, that's that's very true because we have to look at uh, why we are doing what we are doing. What is the outcome we are looking for? Do we want to solve the problems that our you know country is our nation is facing, or or the world is facing, or do we want to you know focus on that which technology gives us more money? And that's not where our focus should be. Our focus should be what problem we want to solve so that you know our tomorrow coming tomorrow will be better for not only our country but the uh, humanity. So those that kind of mindset needs to be there. Uh, but you know. One uh, concern is that currently, because of these uh, uh, challenges with the cyber security and all these cyber breaches happening, and the hackers are uh, forcing a lot of nations decision makers to go inwards and to adapt to you know these uh, protective uh, policies, and that is a cause of concern because once uh, the protectionist policies you know are implemented then it hinders the innovations, the ideas, innovations, and all that are getting impacted. Moreover, these, so many nations lack the necessary digital infrastructure uh, for the digital future. So this lack of digital infrastructure discourages ideas, innovations, and opportunities, and it makes it very difficult to adequately address the, any nation's digital needs of today. 
and for the coming tomorrow. And it leaves each of its components with outdated information, communication, and digitalization technology. And thereby it makes them vulnerable to not only cybersecurity threats, but also prevents them from achieving the dig true digital potential and to achieve the, uh, to go towards the digital future. So do you see that uh, in your nation, I can only ask about your nation because I'm trying to gather information that is there a proper balance of cyber defense and cyber growth for achieving the digital future? Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, I think I think we need to also recognize the fact that anywhere in the world, as far as cybersecurity is concerned and cyber defense is concerned, we are not at a stage where we can say that we have created a benchmark for the entire world to follow. Every nation is kind of kind of in the process of, you know, working on it as they go. It's a, it's a, it's almost like an on the job process. It's like on the job training. They are addressing it, but not necessarily following a set standard or a benchmark. They are reacting to the variety of events and incidents that are taking place all over the world. And I think that may be, that may be very, very crucial because every process has that, that, that beginning, every, every event, if you look at that, every Everything that we know as far as a disruption today that has come about and has become a household name at one point was it was a very, very humble and small beginning. In fact, a lot of people would often say hey, it's, you know, it's crazy. It doesn't make sense. A lot of people in the beginning of a, you know, something of an idea would feel it's. But I think cybersecurity and cyber defense is now changing into a very, very, a very a very disciplined field now. It is now finally reaching that point. It's becoming more disciplined. It's becoming more structured. Um, I think five years ago, we can both agree that to a certain extent, there was a little bit, you know, people were kind of wondering, okay, so how did this happen? You know, you have a very reputable company and then all of a sudden you hear uh, they got hacked or they, they, this happened or, you know, $3 million dollars, got stolen or something like that. You know, something happened that would make, they'll be like, well, how did that happen? If it could happen to these guys and they're so big and they've got such amazing infrastructure, how is it, how is it that I'm going to protect myself and my small company, you know, the small business owners who are sitting there looking at the news. And I think what's happened now is thanks to organizations like Google who, you know, there, there are, they are taking those, 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 those initiatives to allow infrastructure to be available even in the places where it traditionally wasn't available beforehand, right? And Google is just one example. You've got Tesla, you've got, you name it, you've got hundreds of companies out there that are committed to what I call growth innovation, right? Growth innovation is very important. They aren't necessarily focused just on products, but they have a platform strategy. And what they understand is through a platform, they can create derivative, derivative, Sorry, I always get this wrong name, but the word wrong word. It, it takes time to, for for me to get it out. Derivative, 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 uh, derivative. Right? I can never say that word. I don't know why. It's always slips <laughs> up my tongue. Derivative. Right? Derivative. There you go. I got it. Ha! Finally got it. Derivative. Um, so a platform strategy allows derivative, derivative products to be grown naturally out of the core of the company. And a very good, a very very good example is, you know, God rest his soul, Steve Jobs and Apple, right? Apple is a a beautiful example of a platform strategy that was driven to global success due to that understanding that they don't need to create just products or phones or 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 just just a product, but they need to create an experience. And this goes back to what I mentioned earlier: humanization. Brands are no longer looking at just eyeballs and and shoving shoving advertisements and, and, and colors and videos in front of you, but it's also about experience centers now. It's about creating that experience. Sure. And the point that you make about focusing on the human humanization, that human impact is so very important because if you look at the digital future, the cyber space vulnerabilities do not arise only from technology. 
but it also comes from inadequacies in governance, processes, management, culture, education, interdependencies, and integration. So, if there is, if there is, uh, uh, there are so many different variables that come into play that you know plays a role in whether your and whether any organization or any government is going to. Uh, go through cybersecurity breaches. Uh, are their workforce educated? Do they know what they're doing? Are the processes, you know, hacker-proof? Are they, you know, uh, all these different variables? Uh, are they, you know, evaluating and managing all of them effectively to be able to, you know, achieve the cybersecurity? In spite of all these, many nations, it seems that they do not understand every possible building block of cybersecurity or its frameworks or associated processes or technology, education, culture, people, and ecosystem, that seems to be a cause of great concern. Yes, it does. It is indeed. And Jayshree, before I before I continue, I wanted to ask you to give me just just two seconds to plug in plug in a power source because I don't want to lose you. But sure, just give me two seconds, two seconds. Okay. I'm just gonna plug in my power source. Sorry about that, Jayshree. I was oh, I didn't want you, I didn't want to lose I didn't want to lose the momentum of the conversation. So oh, I needed to plug in. I think I think um, coming back to your point, I think it's very important that we and again, I, I think sometimes people think I'm I'm somewhat I'm somewhat a bit obsessed with, with this aspect of things. And I I think I am to a certain extent. I come back to education. Yes. Um, yes. because I think what's really going to create lasting change, you know, and that's what, that's what I do when I, when I coach on sales or I coach on anything to different organizations and training, I always talk about, for example, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. It's easy. And it's one thing to say, it's good that you can sell, but the idea is, can you be great and consistently sell? Can you, re can you repeat that same performance over and over again in order to create that, 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 that momentum for your business, not just revenue wise, but also generally over and as an overview, can you do that in life? Can you be consistent through hard work and discipline and persistence to know when you are successful, why you were successful? It's very easy to be, yeah, you can be successful once in a while. We can do things right. But do we understand what we did the last time when we, we got a very positive result? Do we understand what we did? Do we document those times? And I think this is this self-awareness, the self-awareness is to a certain extent missing in schools today. It's missing because a lot of the, a lot of the experience is around memorization and around, um, well, they call it practical coursework or fieldwork, but really it isn't experience centric enough. It isn't real world enough. It is just a, it is just a, maybe a gamification or a showing of how something works. So the point that you made about self-awareness at the, right. you know, um, in the universities, I think that that is an excellent point that you made and that needs to be there even at a national level to have a very clear digital vision because each nation today needs to commit to an open free internet where individual privacy is protected and government it fosters user confidence and collectively with all its components, that means academia and industries and organizations develops consistent and clear digital guidelines for nation's digital vision and mission. But I don't see that happening across all the nation. Does your nation have a clear digital vision? Do you see that? I, I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of this Dr. Jayshree again comes back to what I mentioned about an example of cybersecurity. You see, the digital future, well, it's just that. It's, it is the future. It's always the future. And as you know, no one can truly tell the future. What you best can do is prepare with the tools that you have today, and you need to be aware of how you can, you can understand the patterns that you see. It's really important in life to understand 
the patterns, not just the events, but also the patterns and then the underlying structures and finally the core vision. The, the vision is what you're talking about. And therefore, I think every country finds itself at different stages of the iceberg. Now, what do I mean by the iceberg? I mean, iceberg for what we have, the systematic thinking process, which is you have the events right on top that most people see in their lives, but they don't go deeper. And a lot of people don't go deeper to understand that underneath the events, you have something called a pattern. The pattern is something that is happening unknowingly sometimes in people's lives. And that is happening as well in our lives as we find new Ubers and new Airbnbs and new things that are coming our way all the time. But underneath those patterns are structures. And now this is where, this is where you get more, oh, so there, there are things that I'm doing, not just as a person who's working in an office or running startups, but imagine even at a leadership of a government level, there are things that these people are thinking about in their minds as the leaders of the governments thinking, I see, I wasn't able to see these patterns. I wasn't able to see the structure. So what really needs to happen is, is I think world leaders, professionals, captains of industries, all of us need to embrace the iceberg concept because we need to understand that we need to go deeper than just the events of our lives and the questions that we ask ourselves, but we're not able to answer them at a deeper level. And if you go the deepest and reach right to the bottom of the iceberg, you understand that actually underneath the water, all the way down, is really your core purpose and your vision, right? And to answer your question, to a certain extent, no, no. A lot of the organizations that I personally work with and I've coached, and I think to a certain level, even the country, not just Malaysia, but generally all of the world, not everyone has a fantastically clear and succinct vision of the digital future that they want to build. But I don't, but that, that's the thing, Dr. Jayshree, I don't think that that might necessarily be a bad thing. I don't think that may necessarily be a bad thing because the thing with the future is you can never know it. And you need to keep a flexible, innovative, open mindset, especially in a digitally disrupted world. You need to be able to be fluid. You need to be like more like a ball as opposed to a square. You need to stop compartmentalizing things and start being like the ball, which is it can roll in different directions. It just moves. It doesn't need to be stopped. It's always rolling. And that is very important in life because I think aside from digital, generally human capital development, all of it, it requires flexibility and adaptability. Now, sometimes us creating a vision or a plan or a structure too soon in a process might actually lend to us not being able to grow and adapt and open our minds to the bigger picture and see things. Oh, okay. Wow. You know, I should, I should take this into account. I should take this into account as well. So from my perspective, yes, there are certain, there are still certain areas in which we can improve at a national level, at an organizational level, at a startup level to really understand where are we going? What are the problems we're trying to solve in a digital world? And how is this impacting our societies? Are we answering those questions 10 out of 10? Maybe not. We're not answering them 10 out of 10 yet. But at the same time, like I said earlier, we're working on the job where we're, it, it's, it's an ongoing learning process. And with the digital world where every six months something some technology becomes obsolete and replaced by something else. You know, maybe the very nature of change has changed. And I mentioned this again, I mentioned this on, on, on TEDx where I mentioned that change has changed. And, you know, winning and losing no longer happens as gradually as it happened. Organizations don't have years anymore to compete. They've got months. Soon it'll be days. You know, we, we don't know, but that is the future. And so what really counts is what, I, what we discussed earlier, and you brought up a very good point, self-awareness. Because only with self-awareness can you understand whether or not you are preparing yourself better to be adaptable. Are you able to take on all this new information, all these changes around you, and take it and make it part of you? so that you can actually rise to higher heights in your own life. 
not just success-wise, not just money-wise, monetary success-wise, but I also mean in the way you engage with people, in the way you inspire people, in the way you tell stories and you, sure. you absolutely no finish it please i i feel i feel to, to to sum up to your to sum up to that particular question there is a lot there is a lot of work to be done dr jayshree i mean undeniably and there always will be but i i always share, share this with my audiences and this might be a bit cliche please forgive me but you know i always tell them fight for something bigger than yourself and you know, often the things worth fighting for in life are always going to be hard. You know, if they were easy, then everyone would do it. And what I what I really hope one day, and what I hope my the vision of Tomorrow Academy comes true. This is this is what I what I really. And by the way, the Tomorrow Academy is it's it's completely a a, a really a, an imagination of you know a man's imagination, my imagination. When I was talking at TEDx and I was having that conversation, and I presented. Uh, the framework I was talking about where education and all that, I talked about emotional intelligence, entrepreneurship. Believe it or not, Dr. Ishii, I, I told myself in my mind there and then that I would create a platform one day. I would begin to create a platform that would allow people to understand that everyone has an entrepreneurial spirit in them. Now, that isn't to be confused with something else. Now, this is where I, I, sometimes it becomes a bit controversial. Everyone, Some people say, no, AJ, not everyone can be an entrepreneur. And I said, you're not listening to me. I'm saying that everyone has an entrepreneurial spirit in them. I didn't say that everyone should be an entrepreneur. They're two different things. Yes, not everyone's cut out to be Gary Vaynerchuk. Not everyone's cut out to be Richard Branson. Not everyone can be Tansri Tony Fernandez. Not everybody can be those people. Yes, it's undeniable. Some people are not cut out to be those people. Yes, but... Does that stop you from being the best version of yourself? And does that mean that you don't have an entrepreneurial spirit or an entrepreneurial mindset that you can use in your own way? You don't need to become those people. You don't need to, to necessarily think in your mind that an entrepreneur or a digital tech startup has to be one that is like Uber or Airbnb. It has to be completely you know, in the news all the time. A lot of the youngsters that I talk to a lot of the most, they always think of entrepreneurship as a very glamorous process. It's a process of becoming a multimillionaire overnight. Well, not overnight, but you know what I mean. You you know what I mean. It's there. You know, ten years ago, when you know you would almost hear nobody say to you that I want to be an entrepreneur. You know, because it was considered very. People didn't understand. They didn't associate any 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 of that to that. But today, more than half the the student body in a lot of the universities. I'm sure in India, I'm sure in, 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 in Malaysia, I'm in Dubai, in the U.S., more or close to half of the, the student body would come to you and say, I want to, I would like to be an entrepreneur. I want to do a startup. I want to do, I want to solve these problems. And that's amazing. But I think we need to go deeper. We need to use the iceberg concept and they need to go deeper in their lives. And just to answer that question, to sum up what you, you asked me about is that, I think at every level, whether you're just that, 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 that kid who's come out of college, who's a fresh graduate, all the way up to the prime ministers and the presidents and the leaders of the country, all of us need to embrace this sort of self-awareness. Because once you understand that self-awareness and you understand, okay, adaptability is the key to me actually growing this country and being open to that. And... I do want to talk about the infrastructure issues. And this is where I mentioned Google, Tesla, and a lot of the other companies out there that are committed to growth innovation. These, country, these companies are doing a lot to overcome infrastructure issues. They're doing a lot. Where, you know, there are some parts of the world where there is no readily available Wi-Fi. There is no Wi-Fi. And therefore, some people say this is a huge, a huge infrastructural issue because a lot of the a lot of the, the platforms that we use today are obviously, you know, more suitable to be used on a Wi-Fi connection, right? Uh, you can use them on 4G and 3G, but let's be honest, if you're using them all the time, having a Wi-Fi connection or having internet connectivity is almost, you know, it's almost uh, assumed given. And, and because of that, you know, companies are coming up with ingenious solutions. They're coming up with solutions where they have hot air balloons with 
Wi-Fi routers on them that are creating Wi-Fi networks in remote areas of the world, right? Um, they have so many different solutions to overcoming infrastructure issues, not just the traditional way of doing things, which is investing millions of dollars in building those infrastructures and those traditional grids for, for Wi-Fi and for you know, network providing and all that stuff that, that a lot of the traditional models used to do. But people are now finding new, leaner, quicker to deploy solutions as well, right? So again, I'm very optimistic about the digital future. I am optimistic and I believe that while countries and while people are never going to be perfect, eventually the future of technology is not in it. It's not about technology but it's about humanity transcending that technology. It's about transcending that technology and understanding that a lot of the things that we need to do still come from the heart and that machines are very good at, at, at executing tasks for us, but human beings are called beings for a reason. So we need to drive that, that, that growth innovation. And if you really think about it, Apple, Tesla, Google, quite frankly, they wouldn't be where they're at without the people that drive these companies. I mean, if you talk about Tesla and Elon Musk, people would argue, would Tesla be what Tesla is today without Elon? I, I'm inclined to say no. I really believe Elon is interchangeable with, with Tesla. I think that's an interchangeable term. I can't think of Tesla without thinking of Elon. And God rest his soul, Steve Jobs. I can't think of Apple without thinking of Steve Jobs. You know, they were interchangeable terms. And I truly believe the CEOs in a digital world and our digital future are all going to be chief innovators. They're all chief innovation officers. And that is the true CEO of a company committed to innovation. Absolutely. Now, uh, Dr. Minai, there is so much more that we can discuss probably, you know, for hours, but we limit our discussion to one hour for the benefit of our global viewers and listeners. So uh, this is the last question to you. What would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially about your efforts, your initiatives in making this world a better place for uh, everyone, each and every individual and organizations and uh, uh, nation? I think I summed up a lot of that in my last in my last uh, answer to the last question that you asked me, but just to, to keep this uh, short and crisp, I, I would like to say that self-awareness is the key. Um, and I think self-awareness comes from a state of emotional intelligence. And I would, I would really, really recommend uh, that this, whether you're a CEO of a high flying organization um, or you're on wall street or you're a startup or you're somewhere in, in your mom's garage still working on, a, on an idea, whoever you are, it's really important that you don't just build your IQ, but it's also important that you build your EQ. And you need to understand that leadership is not just delegation and management models and theory and flashy suits, but it's also about embracing technology in a way that your mind and your heart stands out. How do you bring heart into technology? How do you bring your heart into digital? And that's where I go back to being a storyteller. And that's, that's why I, you know, you'll notice on my LinkedIn profile, Dr. Jayshree, that I put storyteller because I think stories are what inspire people. And I think some of the best leaders in the world today tell stories and those stories move people into action more so than memos and compliance and red tape and processes. You know, that, that's all good. I mean, you know, we need to have processes. We need to have structures. Don't get me wrong. But if you really want to change the world, I think you need to find focus, discipline, stories, and I think truly embracing innovation. And it's all right if the digital future is unknown to us. I think it's all part of the plan. I think that's how it should be. It is unknown to us. And I don't think anybody will truly have a full grasp about where we should go now. You know, for example, if you ask a cryptocurrency specialist today, an expert today, hey, do you, do you see that cryptocurrency would be the only dominant currency in the future? He may say yes, he may say no. But if you drill him a bit further, he'll say, but then again, this is just my view. I, I, don't, I don't know 100%. Anything could happen. 
Bitcoin could just collapse tomorrow. We don't know. There could be so many things that happened. But you see, my point is, nobody has that glass ball. Therefore, I think while we're waiting for the future to happen, let's not live in the past. Let's live in the present. Let's develop a sense of mindfulness and self-awareness that lets us be the best versions of ourselves in this moment, present moment, not worrying about the past or the future, right? But we can create digital disruption or any sort of disruption in our lives in terms of positive disruption. I don't mean the negative disruption. I mean the positive disruption. We can create any form of that disruption in our lives by being 110% present in this moment. I do see that a lot of people, including myself, I'm guilty as well. We all do it. We're all human. But we often don't, we often worry too much about things that we really don't have control on. We worry a lot about the future, what if, and we worry a lot about why something happened in the past. But what we end up doing is we take away the energy from that one moment that you're in at that point. And if you were 100% focused, not on the obligation, but on the opportunity that you have in that moment, that's when you start to realize that your levels go up. You start, people start recognizing and know, knowing you. They see, they see in you the drive, the focus, and the discipline to stay on a journey. And like one of my favorite sayings that Steve Jobs said, it's not about just saying yes all the time. It's about being able to say no to the 1,000 things and focusing on that just that one yes and doing that thing, right? Yeah. So that's pretty much what I, my, my perspective is. Obviously, I'm coming from a perspective of a coach, a storyteller, a, a speaker, um, and a serial entrepreneur with, you know, with the Tomorrow Academy. And that is, that, is, that is truly something that I hope will change the world. And we are building a platform that we feel will, will allow everyday people to experience entrepreneurship within themselves and to see that success coming out of themselves as opposed to somebody handing it out to them. Absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much, Dr. Minai, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on digital future and especially uh, challenges of change uh, that we talked about. Our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you provided. And even if a single individual or entity can come up with an idea to understand and prepare for the digital future based on the discussion we had today, this Risk Roundup Dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Thank you so much, Dr. Dejri. Thank you very much. I'm, I, I really enjoyed today's session. It's been an honor and I do look forward to future encounters. Wonderful. Likewise. So as nations begin to spend heavily on creating the necessary digital infrastructure to bring more individuals and entities uh, online to derive benefits from the ongoing social and economic development opportunities that the Internet provides, they also need to work aggressively to support the education of a digital workforce to manage the challenges of change. Risk groups, cybersecurity, geosecurity and space security discussion centers are created for this very reason to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk facing at the IOA and CTS so that we can be better prepared, we can be more resilient. Uh, we at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secured for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security, so if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more, for more information on the Risk Roundups, to watch the Risk Roundup video or hear the Risk Roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree, host of Risk Roundups, and see you next time.